good, you are glorious and worthy of our praise this morning. Father, for it was by your blood that we were rescued. It was by your blood that we were set free. It was by your blood that you redeemed the people unto yourself. But Father, Good Friday, it didn't stop there because early Sunday morning, you got up with all power and majesty and might in, in your hand, Lord. You and you alone are worthy to be praised. You and you are alone are worthy of our, of our worship. You're worthy of our affections, and you're worthy of our lives right now, dear God. Father, thank you for bringing us around to another Resurrection Sunday. Father, yesterday wasn't promised to us, let alone another year. Father, we lost many along the way, many saints, but Father, you have brought us here for right now to give a right now praise. Father, you have protected, you have uh, given us much, you have kept us and sustained us. And Father, for that, we just say thank you. Thank you, Father, for your mercy in, in waking us up this morning. Thank you for bringing us to your house of worship one more time that we can gather with the saints and we can declare that we serve a living Savior. For the tomb is empty, he is not there, for he got up. So, Father, I pray that that same resurrection power will permeate this place, that you will loose chains and shackles and strongholds right now in the master's name of Jesus the Christ. And, Father, we ask that you would do something new within our hearts, bring transformation, bring deliverance, bring salvation, Lord, bring dependence right now, oh God. Father, I even ask that we believe, but, but that you would help our unbelief. Those areas where we doubt, those areas where we still are holding back from you, may we surrender our entire lives upon the altar right now and that we would be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable in your sight. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will. Please give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of you, that we would love you more deeply and serve you continuously. Father, please open up deaf ears and blind eyes. Prepare our hearts to receive a word from on high, O oh God. Father, please hide me behind your cross. Please take my foolish words because I am weak, and may the power of Christ rest on me right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise, and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Well, beloved, welcome to all of our guests and all of our family to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. So good to see you. You clean up good. You look nice. Today, I just want to wish you a happy Resurrection Sunday, or better known to, to many, a happy Easter. And today is a, it is a day of celebration. For many, however, to, today is just a celebration of family, getting together with those you love, those who are near to you, and uh, visiting on people you haven't, uh, with people you haven't seen. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a celebration, a time for family. It's a time for fellowship. We, we can sit down and break bread one with another. If you're cooking something good, let me know. I'm, I'm sure y'all got stuff in the crock pot right now waiting. It's a time of fellowship. We can gather together and, and have a meal with one another. Uh, it's also a time for fun. Your children dressed up good. They're going to be playing games or whatever. But, beloved, I just want to draw our attention back for a moment to what this time is really for. This morning, we gather to celebrate an empty tomb. This morning, we gather to celebrate the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter is the celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. And when we say from the grave, that's just a fancy word that Jesus got up from the dead. So in a sense, Easter is a celebration of death. We celebrate the resurrection because we celebrate the death of death. Death no longer rules and reigns over those who abide in Christ Jesus. 
because of Easter, those in Christ can, can shout joyfully, Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For we have received the victory in Christ Jesus. Beloved, today may be a lot of things, but my prayer is that this Easter will be a different for you. May this Easter be different. Because my prayer is that you will leave here with the understanding that Easter is truly a matter of death and life. It's a matter of death and life. Turn with me in your Bibles to, or on your devices to Acts the second chapter. Acts the second chapter. And as you're turning, the scene is Jesus has been with his disciples and those who are close to his ministry for the last 40 days. And as he is with his disciples, he, he is teaching them and, and, and showing them what it means for the kingdom to come. And in Acts, the first chapter, Jesus says, and, and you will be witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to fill you with power and with might, and you shall be my witnesses all over the world. You will make known to those you come in contact with what has transpired, what has happened, in order that they may be saved as well and that they may become disciples of Christ. Then we, we, we fast forward and we see Jesus ascending into heaven and, and two angels coming and, and standing before the disciples and saying, don't just stand here, get to work. There's work to do. Now in the second chapter is Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover, 50 days after the crucifixion. The Jews have gathered to celebrate the grain harvest. Jews from all over the world have come into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And as they are, Jesus, uh, he fulfills his promise that the Holy Spirit would come and give them power. And the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost and they begin to speak in other tongues. This was not gibberish, but because there were Jews from all over the world who spoke different languages, God wanted just to make sure that they heard the gospel in their own tongue. But you know, in a crowd, you always got those folks who, who doubt, who always got something smart to say. They say, these folks are just drunk. And here we have Peter, he, he stands up and says, no, nah, they ain't drunk off of wine. They, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is the confirmation of God's promise that he would pour out his spirit upon his people and that, uh, and that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We pick up right there in the text in Acts, the second chapter, beginning with the second, 22nd verse. If you are able to stand, please do. If not, that is fine. Acts the second chapter, beginning with the 22nd verse, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And Peter responds, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with, with mighty works and, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he therefore saw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we, are, we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. Beloved, this morning, as we look at the text, we, we recognize that Easter is a matter of death and life. Here in those passages, Peter preaches the inaugural sermon of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. You could tell it was a Baptist church because when, when, when Peter was preaching, they began talk, talking back to him. But Peter, he, Peter he's, he's preaching about a new reality. He's preaching about a, a new way of how his fellow kinsmen would relate to God. We all know about new realities in life. Sometimes when you have a, a brand new job, you're, you're, you're leaving a job that you've been on for a while, and you, you're starting a new job for whatever reason, and you have a, a little anxiety, a little nervousness because this is a brand new experience. This is a brand new reality for you. And as you show up on the job, you have a new desk. You have a new boss, you, you, uh, or maybe you, you have new people that you're supervising. This is a brand new reality. It wasn't there before. Or maybe you had to start a new school this year. You left all your friends at that old school. Maybe you got promoted from middle school to high school, and uh, you have a new locker, a new teachers, new principals, and you have to navigate this new reality of life. We, we all have been there, but we have a new reality in life that we have to adjust to. What, what, what Peter is doing is he is helping his listeners understand that you have a new reality that you're going to have to adjust to if you're going to be Christ's followers. But this is a good reality. Because he says no longer would your obedience to the law be central in their distinction as a people, as the people of God. The law is going to be very important in their lives. Uh, the scriptures will be very important, but that would not be the central distinction of what makes them different from everyone else. See, what made Israel different from everyone else until then was the fact that God himself came and gave the, uh, his, his very word and the Ten Commandments to Moses, and through the word of God, they would be a separate people. They, they wouldn't be like everybody else who didn't know no better. Because God revealed himself intimately to them. But what Peter is saying, now just because you got the scriptures, that's not going to be what makes you distinct from everyone else. Then he also goes on to say that not only uh, uh, will the, the scriptures not make you distinct anymore, but no longer will these ritual sacrifices be the means by which you are accepted by the Father. 
No longer would, would the sacrifices be central to a faithful Jew's faith. No longer would they need the Day of Atonement. No longer would they need the, the wave offering or the peace offering. They would no longer need the oxes or the, the, the cattle. They would no longer need the doves because the Lamb of God has been slain for them. No longer do they have to hold on to those old practices because Jesus got up for them. He has set them free. Peter is preaching in a way that he wants them to understand that this new reality is founded in and centered on the person and work of Jesus the Christ. It's all about Jesus. Was that last week we, we sung the, the song, It's Not About You? It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And he's telling faithful Jews, it's, it's not about your religion. It's not about your tradition. It's not about how many times you got up and went to the synagogue. It's not about how many times you uh, went to the temple to pray. It's all about Jesus and how you are going to relate to him, which makes all the difference now. All of Scripture has been pointing to this moment. Think about the, uh, the proto Evangelium in Genesis 3. That's the, the first announcement of the gospel in Genesis 3.15 where God tells the, uh, the man and the woman that the seed of the man, uh, the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent though the serpent may bruise his heel. That is, that is the, the, for, uh, the foreshadowing of the cross that Jesus on the Calvary's cross would crush Satan's hand no longer will Satan have any power over you. You ain't got to sin no more. No longer will, will death uh, hold you back. But Jesus will set you free. And he has set you free on Calvary's cross. Though he was hung high. Though he was stretched wide. The good news is that Jesus laid down his life for sinners such as ourselves. The scriptures in, in Joel, the second chapter, where God, he says, I, I, I am going to pour out my spirit in a brand new way. See, up until the New Testament, the, the, the spirit will come on specific people for a specific purpose to give them specific power. But God is saying, I, there's, there's a day coming where I ain't going to hold back. And all, the, all that trust me, I'm going to give them my spirit, and they're going to be faithful. They're going to prophesy. They're going to be witnesses. They're going to be my ambassadors in this world. And we see here at Pentecost, this is exactly what happens. The spirit comes, and God is seen as faithful and true. The new reality that Peter is preaching is that Jesus is the center of salvation. Nothing and no one else. A new age has dawned. A new covenant has been instituted. Because Jesus got up, you now have a real hope. We now have a real hope for real life. Isn't that the Christological paradox? Of death leading to life? That's what's at work right here, that, that Jesus comes and that those who die shall actually live. This is what he's talking about in Luke, the ninth chapter, the 24th verse, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What, what Jesus is saying is if you're so busy trying to hold on and control your own life, you're actually going to lose the very thing you're trying to hold on to. But if you surrender your life to me, if you say, Lord, do with me as you will, Lord, have your way, then he says, when you surrender your life, when you give it to me, you actually will live now. Beloved, I don't know about you, but you may have come in here and you think you're in control of your own life. You got your master plan. You know, you, I, I'm going to go to school for this many years. I'm going to get this education. I'm going to marry this man, this woman. We're going to live in this house, in this neighborhood. And, and up to now, you think you got everything on track. But, beloved, before Jesus radically shakes up your life, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you represent your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service. 
don't get it twisted. The only one who's really in control is God. Only through death can we genuinely live. That's the Christian's paradox. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I want you to see this paradox. First Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning with the 50th verse, Paul is speaking and he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What he's saying is these, these earthen bodies, this, this is perishable. This is why we get old. This is why we do things like rupture our Achilles, playing ball. Like, these bodies ain't built for all that. These bodies are perishable. But he's saying there's going to come a day when, when those in Christ get to tear off the, we get to tear off this flesh like Superman coming up out of his shirt. And we get to, the, this, this perishable will give way to the imperishable. 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality, what Paul wants us to understand is that when we leave this life, for those in Christ, we said it last week, it's a win-win situation. If I close my eyes on this side, knowing that I've been faithful, knowing that, I, that God is my Savior, knowing that, that I have done all that he has called me to do, that when I wake up on the other side of glory, I, I, I won't, there won't be no surprises. There, there won't be no question because he's already told me that when I wake up in glory, I will see him face to face. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my crowns and I'm going to put on some new clothes. I'm going to put on my white robe that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And he's helping us understand, stop trying to hold on to this, this mortal life. Stop trying to hold on to your reputation. Stop trying to hold on to your name. Stop trying to hold on to what everybody think about you. He says, die so that you may live. Easter is about death. Though we may die, we shall live. Because Jesus really rose from the grave and really lives today, your death is just the beginning of real life. Can I say that one more time? Because Jesus really rose from the grave and really lives right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf because of what Jesus has already accomplished, your death is really just the beginning of real life. Beloved, I'm just trying to stop by to tell you, you can't live until you die. Easter is really a matter of death and life. Look here with me in the second chapter of Acts again, verses 22 and 23. Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know, this Jesus de delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. When we think about holidays and we think about death, I'm pretty sure the first holiday that we think about is Halloween. We think about goblins and ghouls and the, the walking dead, and we think about all the the evil, and, the, and it just, just death and spirits. We think about that stuff around Halloween. But, beloved, I submit to you today, Easter is more about death than Halloween ever. Because of what 
Christ has accomplished in his death. See, see, I, I love what Peter does. T Peter takes us through a systematic theology course, and we don't even know it. Because he starts, with the, he starts with the incarnation. He says, hear these words, Jesus, a man attested to you by God. He says, God above. He came down and took on human flesh. That's the incarnation. And then he talks about his sinless life. And then he begins to talk about how, how he, he laid down his life. He, he talks about the crucifixion. All in the same sentence. Easter is a celebration of death because of who Jesus is and what his death has accomplished. Peter is preaching about the uniqueness of Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is like none other. There's, there's no one like him. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. He's pointing back to the ministry of Jesus Christ, the ministry where Jesus, he gave sight to the blind. Jesus, he healed the lepers of leprosy. Jesus, he made the lame to walk. Jesus, he, he made the mute to talk. It, Jesus, he, he, he did all kinds of miracles. He, he told the, the, the winds and the waves, peace be still. Jesus, he even had authority over death where he says, Lazarus, get up. It ain't time for you to die. He, he's talking about the uniqueness of Jesus. There's no one like him. No one compares to him. No prophet did the, the mighty works and wonders. The book of John tells us that he did so many works and wonders, they would not even fit in the volume we have of the Bible. We see who Jesus is. But Patrick told us they didn't he? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He not only talks about the uniqueness in, in Jesus' ministry, he talks about him being the God-man and his authority over all of creation. We see the uniqueness of Jesus in Peter's words, but then we also see the purposes of Jesus in and Peter's words. And I, I love scripture because only God can take divine sovereignty and human responsibility and put it in the same sentence and say, you just deal with that right there. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What he's saying is, Jesus on the cross didn't take God by surprise. It ain't fool him. Uh, Satan didn't do a, 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 a juke and shake and make God think he was trying to catch up. God already had a plan for you and for me. He already knew what he was going to do. There was not a plan B in God's plan. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad God knows what he's doing. But not only is it divine sovereignty, he says, God made the plan, but you did it. He says, but you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Though God was working in creation to make this happen, he still says, but you got a responsibility. You had a part in this. We see this beautiful picture of righteousness and peace kissing one another. Psalm 86.10. But not only here... It's Peter preaching about the uniqueness of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, but he, he's preaching about the death of Jesus. You crucified and killed. See, the, the uniqueness of Jesus and the purposes of Jesus combine to make death, the death of Jesus, a glorious tragedy. It's a tragedy in the sense of how they, they beat our Savior. The very, the very hands that Jesus created were used to bruise his body. The very elements, the, the iron that they used to, to make the nails, God said, let there be, and it was. The very trees that God, uh, he planted on the dry earth in order for us to enjoy was the same wood that was used to, to stretch them wide and to hang them high. 
the, the, the same God who, who had breathed breath into their lungs, that same morning, they now turned around and cursed him and spat upon him. It's a tragedy, but yet it's still glorious. Because when we see the crucified Savior in the scriptures, we see the one who went to the cross for you and for me. When we see how ugly the crucifixion is, we only get a glimpse of how ugly our sin really is. Every time we disobey God, it's ugly. Every time we, we curse one another, it's ugly. Every time we, we fall into sin, uh, whether in thought or in deed, it is ugly. It's to remind us of the, the, the horrendous evil and wickedness of the cross. But God be praised that Jesus, he's not still up on the cross. That glorious tragedy has become the confidence that we have to live day by day now. The simple reasoning is, and how to explain it, we just simply say, Jesus died in your place. If you want to get sophisticated, you could call it the, the, the penal substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? That means that you and I bear a penalty for our sin. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and it tells us that for the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. We deserve to be separated from a good and holy and righteous God because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our rebellion. But, but penal substitutionary atonement tells us that instead of me bearing the wrath of God, that Jesus entered in and he took my place. When I should have been hung high and stretched wide, Jesus got up on the cross for me. And that his sinless and blameless life was a right sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice, an acceptable atonement to the Father in heaven that now when he looks upon those who are covered by the blood of Jesus, he doesn't see our foolishness, he doesn't see our brokenness, he doesn't see our wickedness, but he sees the beauty of his Son. Beloved, when we think about Easter, Easter should remind you that only Jesus can deal with your sin. Peter is pointing to them their culpability in the crucifixion. They had something to do with the crucifixion. Isn't that crazy? The very same people who were culpable for the crucifixion is the same people that Peter is preaching this good and glorious gospel to. Beloved, that should hit home with us. Because it wasn't just Jews that 2,000 years ago who, who put Christ on the cross. But every time we disobeyed our parents, we put Christ on the cross. Every time we woke up with an attitude for no reason, we put Christ on the cross. Every time I entered into sexual immorality, I put Christ on the cross. Every time that I, I act rebellious and I just do what I want to do, I put Christ on the cross. So, so there's no one in here that doesn't have a life that, that, uh, to, to have been lived in such a way that you have not put Christ on the cross. We crucified him. If we were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, God have mercy. We would have been with that same crowd who shouted Hosanna on Monday and crucified him on Friday. Well, how do I know? Just look at your life. Oh, on Sunday, you know how to act. On Sunday, you, got, you actually nice on Sunday. You are, let me get that door for you. you. You want me to share something with you? Oh, you look beautiful and nice today. You, we, 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 on Sundays, we cry Hosanna. But come Monday morning, I don't want to go to work. I don't like them at work. They get on my nerves at work. If it wasn't for the fact that I was getting a paycheck, I wouldn't go to work. And we got this terrible attitude. Every single day of the week, we are crucifying. We're saying crucify him. Crucify him. Every time we gossip, we crucify him. 
Every time we cut somebody out because they, ain't, because they forgot to take the onions off our hamburger, crucifying them. We the same ones who shout Hosanna on the first day of the week and crucify every other day of the week. But God is so kind. The text of scripture says, see, he's rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy. See, he's rich in mercy because you cost a whole lot. But he had enough. And he gave, he's, he's rich in mercy that we, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he makes us alive in Christ. And that even though I may say Hosanna on Sunday and something else on Monday, that his grace is enough to still wash me up, clean me up, and to make me new. They are guilty. We are guilty. But the problem is we think we can deal with our own sin because we strong Americans. Reminds me of a child going through that let me do it phase of life. You know that let me do it phase of life when, when you try to do something for them and they say, no, let me do it. Let me do it. Even though they're small and even though you know that they can't do it, they say, let me do it. And sometimes you say, okay, give it a try. And oftentimes they make a mess of the situation. Beloved, stop, stop shaking your fist at God saying, let me do it. Let me do it. You, you, you're telling God, let me do it. All the while you're making a mess of your own life. You're making a mess of your home. You're making a mess out on your job. You're making a mess of your children. All because you're trying to tell God, let me do it. But God, being rich in mercy, even though we act like fools, he says, I'm still going to step in and do something about it. In Christ, the impossible has been made possible through the death of Jesus on the cross. So not only do we come broken, but we come celebrating. Thank you, Jesus, for getting up. Thank you, Jesus, that even though I placed you on the cross, you still died for me. Not only is Easter a matter of death, Easter is a matter of life. I picked this up here in verse 24 where Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is, this is Peter preaching his own rendition of early one Sunday morning. He said, and God raised him up. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the grave, but he got up. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, well, he, he was really dead, first off. When he hung his head and died, he, he didn't just pass out. He, he didn't just fall out and they thought he, he really died for you. They pierced him in the side. Blood and water came out, separated. They pierced his heart. Jesus was really dead. But then he really rose bodily. It wasn't the spirit of Jesus. It wasn't a, a shadow of Jesus. Jesus in his resurrected body got up from the grave. And when he got up, he, he, he loosed the pangs of death. That means that death no longer could hold us. Death could no longer threaten us. Because we, apart from Jesus dying on the cross, Death will have all kind of say in our life because we will be afraid of what will happen when we die. And beloved, you might be here today and you don't know what's going to happen to you when you die. You think that your soul is just going to return to the cosmos in some way. Or you think maybe, perhaps you lived a good enough life 
that God will let you into heaven. See, because Jesus gave up his life, and because Jesus rose from the grave, those who trust in him can have confidence that death can no longer hold me because death cannot hold my Savior. And when I die, I have full assurance that the blood of Jesus is strong enough, is long enough to carry me into glory where I may spend my eternity. In the resurrection, death was defeated. God raising Jesus from the grave, in a sense, that was an act of vindication. Prior to Jesus' death, they hated on Jesus so hard. They lied on Jesus. They, they said that uh, he was just a, a prophet. They said that Jesus was a liar. They said he was a, a lunatic. They, they beat him. They wrongly convicted him. and tried. They, they made Jesus to, out to be a criminal, a mere criminal. But when Jesus got up from the grave, that, that false sentence and that false conviction and that false execution, uh, Jesus stands up and says, I tried to tell you. You was lying on me and you was hating on me, but I, I lived a sinless life. I am the, 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 the Lamb of God who is worthy. He is, he is showing us that everything wrong thing that was said about him was a lie. In his resurrection, we see the power of the Holy Spirit. See, because on Good Friday, that's when he was wrongly sentenced and executed. But on Sunday morning, his life revealed their lies. And not only did his life reveal their lies, Jesus then spends 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom. And then Jesus ascends in this new life, to this new reality in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And Peter says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He's Lord. He has all authority. And, and, and get this, he doesn't just have authority over your life. He has authority over my life. And not only does he have authority over your life and my life, he, he has authority over all of creation. He is the one that, he has the whole world in his hand. He is telling the sun to rise and the sun to set. He is, he is control of all that is going on, and all of the universe will shout his glory. He is Lord of all. He is the risen Messiah. Beloved, Easter should remind you that only Jesus can give you new life. Only Jesus can give you new life. You may be here today and you feel like Good Friday is going on in your life right now. Circumstances, issues, brokenness, you feel beaten, betrayed, they lying on your name, ain't nothing going right, and you feel like, it's Good Friday in my own life. But see, but for those in Christ, Sunday's coming. See, for those in Christ, we don't got to look far to know that our redemption, our reconciliation is right before us in the free gift of Jesus Christ, this offer of salvation that he has given to us. And those in Christ have been buried in his likeness and death. But we have been raised to walk in the newness of life. Sin no longer has dominion over our lives. We don't have to sin because the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave can now raise you from the dead. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to make dead situations in your, in your life come to life. Those in dead marriages... The Holy Spirit says, get up. Those in dead relationships, the Holy Spirit says, get up. Those who, who, 
who addiction and substance abuse have, have, have led you to a, a death in your soul, the Holy Spirit is saying, get up. Wake up. Come to, li- come to life and live. Those who are living dead lives because of bitterness, because of anger and frustration. Jesus is saying, wake up. Come to life. But that life is only found in Christ Jesus. So when we come to Resurrection Sunday, may may we come and be excited about seeing one another and what's going to take place that day. But may we always come knowing that Easter is a matter of death and life. But ultimately, this matter of death and life is a matter of, of life and death. Though Sunday is coming for those in Christ, the wrath of God is coming for those not in Christ. See, John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see what Jesus is saying? He says, your word and your actions really testify if you belong to him. And if your lips and your life don't match up, then you might not belong to Jesus. And he says, if if your lips and your life don't match up, then the wrath of God is still on you. The wrath of God is still coming for you. Beloved, the wrath of God is coming because God had a design for how we should live this life. God, he said, let there be, and and he created this great and good earth. Everything he created was good. And God gave a design for the man and for the woman and how their marriage should look like, how they should relate to him, how they should relate to to one another, how they should relate to all of creation. God gave them a job to do to expand his glory. God has a design for all of our lives. God has a design for how you spend your money. God has a design for how, how, how you should talk to one another. God has a design for all of life. But, beloved, when we depart from God's design, the, the, the Scriptures clearly tells us that we are in sin when we depart from God's design. And that sin separates us from the goodness, the holiness, and the presence of God. And when we depart from God's design, we find our lives full of brokenness. You see it every day. You see brokenness on the TV. X, Y, and Z got shot. Such and such happened. We see brokenness in politics. We see brokenness all in the world. But, beloved, the brokenness is not just out there. The brokenness is in our hearts. And we try to, we know we're broken, and we try to fix that brokenness. We try to, 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 to heal ourselves through relationships through money, through clothes, and through drugs. We, we try to find ways that we can fix our brokenness, trying to escape. But truth be told, the only way that we can, can deal with this brokenness is through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel simply tells us that God came. He lived on earth as a man. He, he lived a sinless life that, that you and I could not live. But then he died the death that we deserve on Calvary's cross. But, but though he, he, he died on Friday, God raised him up on the third day. And he is in heaven right now interceding on your behalf. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back for his people. See, but this, this is what separates those who just go to church uh, from those who are the church. Because it's one thing just to know the gospel, but it's a, another thing to, to live the gospel. And the way that we live the gospel is through repentance and faith. We, the, repentance is a Bible word that merely means change, to, to turn around. We agree with God about how he feels about our sin. He says our sin is heinous. Our sin is evil. Our sin separates us from him. So we say, Lord, I agree with you about how you feel about sin. Not about how my boys feel about sin. Not how my girls feel about sin. But how you feel about sin and you hate it. 
and we recognize that we are in a place where we cannot save ourselves. But then by faith, we say, Lord, I do believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that you raised him from the grave and that if I trust in you, I will live for eternity. It's not just enough to hear the gospel. We have to live the gospel. And when the, the head knowledge becomes heart knowledge, he fills us with the Holy Spirit and he gives us the, the strength to recover and to pursue God's original design for our lives. Our lives is filled with so much brokenness because we're trying to do it our own way. But when the Holy Spirit fills you, Jesus says, and I will send you the helper, and he will remind you what I have said. He, the Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, direct us, and empower us to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, and to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. Beloved, that's the good news of the gospel. That when you can't, Jesus already did. That, that when you wouldn't, Jesus already showed up. And that when you lay down your life and you surrender to him, he will take your broke life and he will raise you up. And the text says, and we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus died for sin, you can die to yours. Because God raised Jesus from the grave, you too can be raised to walk in the newness of life. Beloved, I, I implore you, I beseech you, I beg you to experience the grace of God today. Experience God's riches at Christ's expense. This matter of death and life is a matter of life and death. Recognize the true beauty of Easter Sunday. Where do you stand with Jesus today? Recognize your own brokenness and your own need for vindication and respond to Jesus' free gift of salvation today through repentance and faith. Beloved, Easter is all about Dying to yourself today so that you can truly begin to live a real life. Won't you come today? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for so great a salvation we have in Christ Jesus. And Father, I ask that you would rescue one from their sin. Bring them out of darkness that the God of this world may no longer Hold on to their lives. Help us to see our sin for what it is. It's evil and it's wicked. And that your wrath is coming for those who do not obey. But Father, help us to trust in Jesus. To be cleansed from all sin and unrighteousness. That we may live with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being glorious. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen.